Hello to the Box I Live In podcast with me, Ben Reeve, and Blake Howard. How are you, Blake? Yeah, good, Ben. Good to see you and hear from you again. <laughs> well, and delighted to be back for another expedition after our previous attempt. So obviously we're starting to make it a habit now. Now, I need to introduce, we have a guest today, a very special guest. Uh, she is the Group HR Director for Whitbread. She's been on the board since 2012, but more importantly, she's also my big sister. Welcome, <laughs> Louise Smalley. Thank you, Ben. You've never called me special before. I have, but only behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) So this is how it rolls. So, Louise, I'm delighted to have you on the show because when we were talking with Blake, now Blake's my my podcast producer, as I said, so he basically keeps me on the straight and narrow, but we were looking for big names and people that could draw a crowd. And so when I went through my extensive network, you were actually at the top of it. So, you know, I'm absolutely delighted that you can make some time to come and have a chat and share your wealth of experience. It's my pleasure to do that for you. Now, give us a bit of background, Lou, because um, your career, I, I, I went online, I, obviously I know, I, have, I do know where you've worked, but I did love, I read, I read a little bit that you come from the oil and gas industry, that was obviously your start, which made you sound like something out of Dallas and, and that kind of era. So just give the listeners a brief history of who you are and what you do, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I've, I've, been, in, um, I've been in HR, so human resources, for 30 years so doing, doing three decades of this, I, I kind of got a, got, got a sense of what worked and what hasn't. But I started my career in the oil industry because once I graduated from university, it was the kind of place where you went to get the professional structure and processes and practices that related to human resources at the time. Not so much now. I don't think it's modernised as much as some of the new industries, but I did 10 years in the oil industry and then moved to hospitality. And I think what people point out is that kind of related worlds transition to go from oil to you know, service, restaurants and hotels is, is a little bit, bit unusual. But it gave me a good, good grounding in all the professional standards to then apply it into the mad world of hospitality, which I've done for, for two decades. So you've run people businesses. This is why it was interesting for us to have a chat, right? Because and I think I remember you and I talking about career moves sort of five, 10 years ago. And you kind of said to me, well, there's not a lot of other major people businesses that potentially would be attractive to you, right? Because your businesses have been involved, what, thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, we at our peak, we've had in Whitbread, we're hotels and restaurants, 50,000 people, you know, and they'll be in over 1,500 different sites. So it's very difficult to sort of centrally control what they do. It is like herding cats at times, herding 50,000 cats, if I'm honest. Well, that's it. You know, this is why engagement. I thought the theme for our chat today could be employee engagement. And because I'm interested, yeah. you know, obviously the box comes and I've come at it from a perspective of trying to help people engage themselves. But this idea of, you know, how do you get 50,000 people engaged when for the majority, I mean, I'm sure they love, I love working for you and the businesses, but it's just a job, right? So this is the challenge. But before we go there, I've just got to let Blake know that Louise is the success in our family, Blake. Because if you ever speak to our mum, if you speak to mum, and I did speak to her on Sunday, Lou, and she was like, are you doing that podcast thing with Louise? I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, I'll have a listen to that. I was like, yeah, be right up your alley. <laughs> but if, you, if people say to mum, like, how's the family? And they go, she goes, oh, Louise, oh, Louise is very successful. She's, you know, on the board of this and on the board of that. And is you know, in London and meeting so-and-so. And they go, oh, yeah, that's okay. And how's Ben? Oh, he lives in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> in the colonies in the colonies <laughs> <laughs> so 
so we so you know it, it's it's kind of nice anyway she said she was going to listen so we better behave and make sure we say nice things as well so so talk to me look employee engagement i mean it's it's something which we know every corporate talks about and it's always you know talked about at a high level I mean, give us your view and take on it then in terms of, you know, how do you actually engage 50,000 people? As I said, when the majority probably just want to turn up, do the job and go home. Like, Do they actually have to be engaged or could we just let them turn up and be themselves? Well, I think it, it starts with your, your assumption that people just want to turn up and do a job because I've never thought that. I thought everybody has the opportunity to kind of spend their, their day doing something that they care about and have a degree of self-worth. I think it's a, it's a long old day to work. I don't know how many hours you work in Australia, but we have a seven and a half hour working day here as a, as a standard. And that's a long time to just sort of sit there and be detached or, or, or frustrated. And I, I think work provides a huge opportunity to show you your self-worth and, and make a difference. Clearly not every day. I mean, you can have good days and bad days, but I think that fundamental principle is that you know, people want to come in and do a good job if, if you give them the opportunity to do it. And sometimes you meet, you meet people who don't start from that place, but that's the challenge. That's, that's the turnaround challenge of employing people and, and getting them to see what you see and, and marching on together. So, so, so then do you recruit for that? Because maybe I've got a cynical view. Isn't it funny? There's me, I work in this space and I'm like, everybody doesn't like, but you're obviously very upbeat about that. But like, I mean, do you recruit for that then? Is that like, how do you get people to turn up and kind of have that, at least have that open-mindedness? I think you've got to recruit for attitude. You've, you've got to know the attitude you need in your organisation to, to succeed. You know, I've worked in services businesses. So if you're not of service, if you don't like interacting with other people, or making making other people's day, you're not going to be successful in one of our restaurants or or our hotels. But you know, once you unlock what it is people enjoy, and they've got the right attitude and the willingness to have a go, I, I think you know you can make most people engaged in terms of the fundamental how you're going to get the best out of them. Uh, clearly, the, people at different life stages have different different challenges. But, but, but it is about recruiting for the attitude, ultimately, that's going to make a difference in your organisation. You know, if I had people who are extremely introverted working in our hotels, you know, they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't survive. Other, other sectors would be better, better for them. And their, their, their powers of kind of to make a difference just wouldn't, wouldn't happen for them in our business. And then because it's such a scalable business, how do you so what are the levers then? So we talked about recruitment. So obviously there's getting people with the right attitude or people that at least want to be there. And I guess they're not just say at the interview, but actually turn up and then demonstrate that. I mean, then you, you talked about for some, it's about sort of helping them understand and, and coming on the and I guess it's the service journey, right, that you guys would be big about talking and you've probably got the you know, the whip bread way and all that kind of stuff. So what are the levers that you pull then to get me excited about turning up every day? I think a sense of the career in progression. I mean, I think some people say, well, you know, it's just a job. It's not a career, but every career is a series of jobs. So you, you, you've got a career whether you like it or not. <laughs> you can sort of sit there and say, I can do this for the next 20 years, or I can say, actually, I can step on through the organisation. So once people can see you build their confidence and you give them the, the training. I mean, induction is hugely important, you know, in any new job. I think particularly organisations cut, cut that too short. You know, how do you set people up for success when they're either moving internally or, or, or enjoying you? Give them the confidence to have a go and, and make a difference and you know, perform out of their skin. And, and, and then you're, you're away. You need great line management. I mean, line managers are, are key to any opportunity to bring engagement to the fore of how you run your business you can you can say from the top how it's going to be but if you don't have good quality line managers who follow that through 
And it's the symbols of KFC, know me, focus me, care for me. I mean, that's what I've always, um, always followed in my, in my career. You know, understand what makes me tick. Help me, help me understand how to do this job well. And then, you know, show a bit of care for me when I, when I need it. Um, if you run those three principles in terms of how you line manage, then engagement will start to come through. And once you get the team engaged, because it's quite infectious, even if you come into a, a team and, and you're a bit, bit miserable or lacking in confidence, when we all lack in confidence, some of our behaviour traits aren't brilliant, let's, let's face it. But when the rest of the team support them and kind of pull them across the line, you know, that's, that's, it becomes infectious and it just multiplies. You know, it starts to become something that's sort of self-serving once you get good line managers creating that, that magic, really, that, that gets it going. So, so that's interesting for me because when I hear you talk, and maybe this is the difference, right? When I hear you talk, and I know you're passionate about it and you believe it, because I hear a lot of other people say exactly what you've said, but it's almost like they're they're running the script and the lines. You know, they're saying it because it's the politically correct thing to say. And yet when I hear you go through it and I think about the team, I start to think, actually, you know, it pains me to say it a little bit, but it'd be kind of fun to work with you if you're genuinely like that. You're not just bunging it on for the podcast, <laughs> which I guess after 30 years, you're probably pretty genuine about it anyway. But it's like, how, how do you then, because a lot of people talk this about this. I was going to say a lot of people talk about this shit, but I'm, I oh, it's my podcast. I can say what I like. A lot of people talk about this, but how do you like th that line managed for me is critical because I've realized that it doesn't matter what we do in terms of systems and processes. If you're working for somebody that gets it, wants to be there and has that desire on the skills to understand you, then it makes a huge difference, right? And you you know the stats as well as I do. What is it? 66% of people leave because of their managers. So, 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 I mean, how do you get beyond the words? Because like I said, you, you, I hear you say it and I hear others say it, but I believe you, but others, I just think, nah, I'm not buying it. Like, how do you get those line managers are so critical to be as genuine as you are? I think they've got a... They can't be control freaks about it. You've got to give over to the, to the team you work, you work with and say, you know, what's working well, what isn't. And I think one of the challenges of keeping this going is it, it, it's at times you've got to face into conflict. You want people to be positive, but there are things that get in the way. You've got engagement, which is about connection, but then there's the context in which this is going to happen. And sometimes that, you know, there are issues in the way the business is run or the technology is crap or the career opportunities that you, you said to people are going to happen don't materialize. And a kind of a line manager has to sit there and then have this conversation. And, you know, and there are challenges to that. And some line managers are just not happy about giving over to the team some of that, those issues and saying, well, what are we going to do about it? And the best line managers I've seen genuinely let go of it, let go of it and show some vulnerability and say, look, I know things haven't been good and we've had a crappy months and we've missed our targets, but, how are we going to go again? Because I think the test for engagement often shows up when things slightly wobble off the plan. And that's when managers think, well, I can't be happy clappy here at this point in time. And they just retreat and everyone goes, ha ha, we've beaten engagement. You know, you, you weren't consistent and you didn't think you didn't follow it through during the hard times. And that, that, you know, that takes some skill. Uh, that's a facilitation skill. Sure. You know, to sit down with a, with a team and sort of say, how are we going to fix some of these things? you kind of have to sort of be a bit more of a servant leader. I don't know if you use that terminology or it's, it's a bit too, too sort of HR-y for, for you, but it is about saying, I'm here to try and make a difference for you. And if a line manager doesn't have the capacity in which to go to, to their superiors and say, I need some support or I need a change of direction or I just need you to slow down a bit, 
then then yeah the chain is going to break and the engagement is is lost so I, I think that's where the cynicism comes in it's a bit like well you ran the mile but you didn't run the marathon and um that's where I come in you know my job is to keep everybody you know from mile one to mile 24 um in in, in how I see it because you, you get there and people see you run a cycle of you know, a good and a bad sort of set of periods. And then they think, actually, this this is sustainable. So how do you do that then? So, you know, because I'm going to have good days and bad days. And and like I said, I think some of these some of these line manager roles are the toughest. So Blake, you know, when Blake and I first met, he ran a, how many did you have in your team? Because you, you had a team of basically operators, didn't you, Blake? Yeah, the I think one of the, one of the more recent times we were together, it was us catching up again. And he said, hey, how many, how many have you got right now? And I said, 28 in a high pressure uh, settlement focus team um, for a big financial institution. And at that time, that's a lot of, you know, just if, for folks listening in, in, in any kind of operational role, that's a lot of hours to be in front of people. It's a lot of hours to support 28 people in a month. That's at least an hour a day of one-on-ones more um, uh, and those sorts of things. And they've all got their own needs and their own demands and the, there are ups and downs. But I, I love what you were saying, Lou, is – that line manager role is so critical for for attitudinal like uh, hiring for attitude but then also the chain is that flexibility not only with the immediate line manager but it's slightly up the line to understand that there's the candor to receive this has gone wobbly and it has gone off the rails because i can certainly (laughs) empathize with people as a leader like uh, there were times where i'm like there we have we've exhausted the, what we've got now and it's not working we need more time we we need more time and you've just you're, you're praying that you've got a line manager yourself as a leader um to be like okay yes we need to we need to work something out we need to do something different yeah and that 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 chain of consistency and chain of consistent line management is, is important because you've got to set realistic expectations for people sometimes you will need them to stretch and, and do the long hours and it's going to be tough and feel like you know, you're pulling teeth all the time, but that that isn't sustainable. And you need to be go back up, gut up the chain, and say, look, air traffic control's got to come in here. We've got too much incoming, and often it's it's middle management. The managers who sit in the middle, taking the orders from the top down, and, and the team from the um, that have kind of actually at the service end, the, the, the most constrained. You know, most middle managers are the most disengaged. Certainly here in the UK, I don't know how it is in Australia. And they need the support. And you know, those people who are line managers and middle managers need to really be receptive to, is this achievable? Because you just turn the team then and you've got to try and find a new team with the right attitude and you're back to square one. So it, it really is quite exhausting to have that, that, that cycle if, if you're not able to manage expectations of what can and can't be done. I think the interesting thing, Lou, is, you know, the idea of servant leadership and the idea of us facilitating the outcome for others, I actually think is the key, right? Particularly look at the generational shift that's going on, you know, because the kids are not the kids. I love it. See, the kids are not going to turn up and sit there and, you know, they're like, yeah, go on, old man, you do it first because I ain't doing it, which I kind of respect. And, I, and I, I think I think the challenge, though, in that middle managers, I often refer to them as like the bed springs because they're getting pushed from the bottom and they're getting pushed from the top, exactly like you've said. But it then touches on Blake's point a little bit. Is And I think some of those guys and girls, and it's hard to generalise, but most of those guys and girls, if they want to be in an operational line manager role, I reckon they're some of the best people managers I have ever worked with because they are passionate about the customer and they're passionate about their people and making that work. The challenge, though, and it comes back to what you were saying, is, you know, from a career perspective for some of those guys and girls, 
they often don't want to go up to the next level or to the next stage because it takes them further away from what they're passionate about. So what I have seen, it talks to your question about being able to provide sort of that infrastructure around these guys and girls is often the leaders that are ambitious and career minded. You know, sometimes they're not always the best people people, you know, because they've got the other business acumen. Yeah. So, so you've got this frontline workforce that's in there working hard, trying to make the customers and their people all work being managed then, as you said, by another set of leaders. I mean, as you get sort of further away from the front line, do your expectations of leaders in terms of what they do around engagement change or are they the same or do you have different, like, do you put more focus on the training that they need to do or creating that environment? How does sort of this engagement work at the different levels of leadership? In terms of the, the middle managers I've worked with, because I, I think that was my most you know, challenging point in my career was being a middle manager. And you're right, people have got different motivations for being in that space. Um, I, I think the best middle managers I've worked with and the transition, transition most have made on engagement has been to realise that you don't have to do it all. If you empower your team to have the discretion to make some of the difference where you can, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I've, I've run action planning sessions after engagement surveys and I've seen this huge list of actions and thought, I can't do all that for everybody. And then you ask for a few willing volunteers to take a couple of the actions and make it happen. And then that is... That is, that is just like the way you get, get through it and it's delegation. So I, I would say that great engagement is also about great delegation, particularly at middle management level. So you can focus on what you have to talk to your superiors about and the team can go on and fix things just about the habits and ways of working the team, team are working. And when you come to senior level engagement, I, I think what changes is you have to be so authentic. It, Life becomes very linear at a senior management level. You've got plans, you've got targets, you've got strategies, you've got external stakeholders who are often very like you, dealing with their own plans, targets and strategies. And kind of the people element is sort of not necessarily every part of the day at the most, most senior, senior level, which is probably why they've put up with having me around the table, because it is absolutely my passion and reminds them all what they should be remembering most of the time. But in that case, I think they have to show up authentically and explain the why. It isn't just, you know, just about the what. At that point, they, they've really got to explain the why and understand there might be unintended consequences of pushing too hard on, on plans and targets. So it's keeping that, keeping that humanity at the most, most senior level. And, and you're just not in the routine of doing that, to your point. You know, they've moved away from the operation. It doesn't feel, you know, it feels so comfortable. And you've got to get them facilitating again and, and running a session with a cross-functional group of people from all elements of the organisation, which this, this medium we're on really helps happen. You know, there's no sense of, you know, I can't travel 20 miles to, to, to meet you to do, to do that. You can do it over this medium so easily and just be available to listen. Humanity and a bit of listening, really. I think what's interesting, though, Lou, and I wonder if... if... See, you said a couple of really subtle things there about how you hold the business accountable. And, and I think in your business, and maybe it's a nature of what it needs to be, and, and, but you know, you're certainly not the token HR department, are you? I mean, the fact that you've been on the board since, what, 2012. I've got to say this. I think mum wants me to say this. Well, actually, Robert does. <laughs> Louise, Louise Smalley, Group HR Director for Whitbread, is actually the longest-serving in-role female director in the FTSE 100. Yeah, good. Hey, that. I didn't know. You, know you did 2012 and then you did the what the DS Smith one in 2014. So you certainly hang around, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a non executive 
perspective of DS Smith, that's a manufacturing company. And, and again, my role there is very much just to remind the senior, senior leaders of, you know, where to, where to spend their time, you know, and the non-linear stuff, the stories, the things that haven't worked so well, that are asking for the, for the teams in the organisation to help them to achieve, you know, the plans and targets we've got. It, it, just, it just keeps that front of mind for everybody. Yeah, I'm there kind of a bit, a bit like the conscience, I guess. But, and that's the interesting thing, right? Because I think there's a lot of organisations that have HR, but I still think they see it as the thing that sits outside. I don't think they genuinely get that it's a real enabler. Oh, you get the people stuff right and the business metrics follow. So, I, you know, it's an interesting one for you because I, I think you're in, the fact you're embedded in the business and you kind of talk about it would hold me accountable. See what I, I, I still see it today. I still see a lot of senior execs, you know, give it a lot of lip service. And I think they can get away with it because there's no ramifications. And maybe it's a different industries. So I don't know. But, but again, yeah. sometimes you kind of get that tokenism around all of this. And that probably that goes back to my cynicism a little bit is, you know, I've heard lots of leaders stand up and say this stuff, but again, do they really practice and breathe in their business? And, it, and if they're not, who holds them accountable? It's kind of interesting for you guys, right? Because I'm sure you've been in the situation where you've had people deliver numbers but, you know, the noise and the issues around them and all the, you know, just the people noises goes. And long term, it's not sustainable, right? I mean, we know anybody smart can pull a few levers and hit a couple of quarters numbers, but is it sustainable? So, so when you're also looking at your senior leaders around the business, this, this people side of it and this, their actual skills, is that something that you guys are, are strong on and you focus on and discuss? We, we do. I mean, I guess it's... it's it, where it piques the interest of my most senior leaders is, you know, how do we change? You know, you know in terms of your career, what your, how dynamic businesses are now, how competitive the landscape is, you know, the barriers to new entry globally, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. It, it all adds up to actually, you can't sit still for five minutes. But if you're going to enact change, you, you've got to take your, your, your team with you, whether you're a large scale people business or you're relying on a couple of you know, particular groups of, of, of SMEs, you know, particular experts. And I think when it comes to, well, how do we do this differently is where your, your senior leadership are often focused and often need to understand where well, you, you've got to take your people with you on that journey. And often to change, it means you've got to sacrifice some of what you're doing to, today to get to where you want to go. And the only way you can do that is get people kind of stopping and looking things one way and doing it another is by is by taking them with you. So we, we spend a lot of time literally, literally making sure that our senior leaders' diaries are not clogged up with you know, too many stakeholder groups that think like them. You know, you've got to put complementary experiences around them. And that is often the people are executing the delivery of the plan. And if the plan needs to change, you've got to stump up and in clear terms communicate why, why it's got to be different. So I, I think the key to senior leadership focus on engagement is communication and giving enough quality time to it and you mentioned earlier on that you get them outside of their lines of business because i think that's the other thing that in a busy world you can all very much get caught up in doing your part of it and we all come together and sit around a table and you know do the monday meetings and all that kind of stuff but you sort of mentioned a little bit on getting out and facilitating different departments is that something consciously that you guys do it's not just understanding but actually getting out into other areas of the business oh yeah because you get in those situations, you, you just get what I call a diagonal slice across the business. So you get, you know, a housekeeper talking to the CEO. That's my kind of once a year opportunity that I get the, the, the best out, the best time out of. And you get some of this reverse mentoring as well. You know, you get them telling them that, you know, I could be more productive and do, do, do more rooms if you give me a proper hoover. 
you know, to see the CEO sort of respond to that discussion and say, what, you don't have it? You know, it can absolutely <laughs> swipe through productivity to, to get that sorted out pretty quickly. I, I'm a big fan of elected representative environments. You know, I know in some, some structures there's union collective agreements and, and that has to happen. But I, I, I think in any situation, people who are prepared to stomp up and sit on a forum representing their colleagues it's a fantastic way of being truth to power, if you like, and, and revolutionises the thinking of, of senior leaders if they're prepared to give it a go. Dad would be proud to hear that, Lisa, <laughs> your, uh, your proletarian ways. You're like, you know, know. it's kind of, look at you, look at you. I mean, that was another question I had for you is because you do sit at the top of the tree. And, and I think the joy of hospitality, though, is at times is you don't die wondering with some of the characters that are in there because it's their customers and it's their hotel and it's their restaurant. And they're looking after it. I mean, do you do you get filtered? I mean, I'm sure you, you're pretty attuned to it, but you know, there's always this tendency at times to push the good news upwards. But I think both of us are probably quite intuitive. We get that from mum, right? So if someone's bullshitting us, we know it a mile off. But is there? A, how do you create that that almost that accessibility and that willingness to genuinely listen? Because sometimes it's so hard, isn't it? You know, when someone's moaning about something, but you've got to listen to it. So, so like, do you actually? How do you not get filtered? Is maybe the question I'm trying to ask. How do you ensure that you understand exactly what's going on? I think you, you, you've got to meet people on their terms. You've got to go to them. You can't invite them up to the, you know, the top floor of some corporate office, you know, and offer them, ask them if they'd like to have, you know, milk with their coffee or something. You've got to go and meet them in their environment, you know, make them as comfortable as possible. And then they'll tell you how it is. And particularly, I, I'm laser like on unintended consequences. You know, you, you've got to plan. And the sooner you know whether that plan is derailing, it's a chance to get it back on track. Yeah, I'd hate for you. I'd hate for you to think that I'm kind of the happy, clappy person on the on the board. I, I'm extremely commercially minded. Yeah, I know you are. And you know, I like to achieve what the business wants to achieve, but execution is is key. So yeah, I think it is leaning in to to, to answer your question simply. You won't. You're less likely to be filtered if if you meet people shoulder to shoulder in, in their environment. I, I have to ask you a question in that regard because, as uh, in my previous life as a senior communication manager for a big executive group, the the plan is yeah. always to try and get the senior leadership in front of those end customer service representatives because of the insights and the cut through and just the exactly as we've just been talking about that up and down filter evaporating and maybe the wool being pulled from people's eyes to what the genuine experience is. Can I ask you, how do you circumnavigate the performative nature of that? Because I can speak personally that there's such a pomp and circumstance and over-engineering the living daylights out of how that actually happens between CEO levels and end customer facing people that you're like, this is such a show that maybe we're not getting the result that we want. Do you ever put upon your CEO, like what are they called? Like, you know, the surprise CEO or the hidden CEO tactics to get them right in front of the people they need to talk to without any of that pomp and circumstance. How do you get around that? I think, I think, how do I, how do I get around it? People get better at this. You know, I know a lot of people who, you know, started from being a degree of distance, you know, that they're not going to be brilliant on their, their first outing. So if, that ha if you get them out and, and they're a, a, a little bit clunky in the process and some of their references don't make sense, 
you just have to keep going and, and find a way of giving them the feedback and getting them out again. Often it's really good to, to get them out in the business with somebody who is just really good at it. Yes. It, it is about, they don't know it, but I get them mentored, you know, they just yeah, sort yeah. of get, get taken by somebody who, who might be the regional manager, who knows the senior leadership and the team that the, the senior person might be meeting and just, just set it up for success. You know, start before you start is yes. probably my view. Really think about how do you, you set this up so that it's got the best chance of success. Because the worst thing is to have this pomp and circumstance, which just shows the divide. I mean, yes. all people will look at, remember, is the pomp and circumstance <laughs> <laughs> that took place rather than the, you know, the, the, the human level conversation. Because uh, we're all employees at the end of the day. You know, some get made paid more than others, but we're all, we're all linked in the chain of success. And I have seen people, when they've cracked it, coming from a really uncomfortable place, they just they just won't give up and they just get it and but that you're right you have to set it up for success to start and I, and I think that is a little bit of chaperoning at times chaperoning <laughs> Chaper- <laughs> yeah, you give you do you send them off with somebody that gets it to kind of like their minder yeah I love yeah. it though. I, lo- I love well, a minder is. I love a minder <laughs> well and the, but the joy of it is and this is what's so exciting and I think this is the issue when you're in these companies is you do look at these different levels and I think you know clearly if you're at the further up the tree you're under a great scrutiny and we always look at them as the finished articles and they are in certain degrees i.e because it's gotten to where they are but it's not like anyone's immune there's no one that's absolutely nailed everything you know what I mean so I like the idea that some of our senior execs actually you know what the thing they probably want to work on is the communication I mean not talking mm. to the street or to the board we're talking to their people because i think for some of those guys and girls you know could they roll the sleeves up and go and wash the pots and pans and do that with a degree of comfort and still have the conversation i think they'd be so out of water but i'm not saying they have to do that but i think your point is they is something they can learn right and this is the opportunity they See, I, I, I think that's one of the biggest drivers for me of engagement is actually that you said it before is the reality and the realness of the leaders, but also the accessibility. I mean, you've got 55,000 people, you're not going to get around all of them, but again, you can touch the key ones, but it's got to be that genuine interaction, right? Not the stage managed. Otherwise I guess everywhere just smells like paint, doesn't it? Like the queen, everyone just, like, you know, it's all perfect. <laughs> but that, that's right. And, and you know, when they do get good at it, you, you can record it, you can have it available on, you know, they'll do blogs. You can get to quite a high level of, of availability and accessibility of your most senior leaders. You know, I think we as an organization in this last year have got our senior leadership so confident at, at being accessible and available through through digital platforms because we were we were shut down for a year, you know, we were yeah. in lockdown. So they, they really realized that the only way that they were gonna do what they, they were learning to do before was accelerate that and, and communicate out through 12 months of you know, Teams calls um, and Q&A sessions. And I think what really gets leaders is it is okay not to have the answer. You know, most of the environments that they work in around the board table, they can, they're smart people and they get smart questions from people they like them and it, it's a self-fulfilling sort of aren't we good at this <laughs> and when you come to talking to the, the broader teams and, and they tell you look this technology plan hasn't worked and quite frankly my systems aren't up you know even for an hour a day let alone the seven you promised me have you got an answer and being able to say I don't but you know I'll come back to you is a really difficult thing to do they don't want to die on the spot but dying on the spot shows people that you are vulnerable and you will come back and if you do get a letter from the CEO in a month's time and you said look the IT director's 
found out the issue and here it is, they'll stick that on social media. And we have something called Purple People, which is our Facebook page. And up goes the letter from the CEO and everyone thinks the CEO's made a difference. Yeah. I used to, I used to I love that I, I like the open forums of the senior leaders in the public piece because for me it's actually a testimony of how comfortable they are dealing with the reality because we've all been there you know and someone puts their hand up and it's like and the, the ripples go through the room because it's like oh my goodness what they're going to say next you know I just like <laughs> to understand why that we don't have ply, four ply toilet in cubicle four <laughs> it's completely disastrous you know and there's some senior execs that just are like who is that person have them taken out and others just deal with it and I actually I actually think for me it's probably a very good measure of the health of the leadership in a business is how they handle themselves in some of those forums you know I had one yeah. guy at Dell years ago where they it was basically like we had we never used to invite him to this senior management all-ins because his question was so pointed but on the money that it was just too uncomfortable so we used to give him the day off because <laughs> 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 I, I used to get all the questions afterwards like who is he and i'm like but he's got a valid question now he asked it with a bit of attitude you know i had to coach him to ask it in a way you know if you can ask a question in a good way one gets you promoted the other one gets you fired so um but you're right i i, I think I guess the lesson then for leaders is, and we've said it all the way through, if we're going to engage people and for people to be engaged, then they've got to be genuinely interested in who they're working for and see that that individual is actually genuinely interested in them as well, right? I mean, so much of it does yeah. come down to the quality of the leaders that you've got in any business. It does. And, you know, sometimes we're in the world of difficult choices. You know, sometimes you, you're asking that senior leadership to explain why we're going to have to make sacrifices in pursuit of change. You know, if our cost basis is too high, if you know the products we're peddling you know, don't, aren't wanted anymore, you know, people will be frustrated by that because you know, they're attached to what you said before. And if you need them to shift, you do sometimes, as I said, have to have the difficult conversations. You know, it's not, engagement's just not for the happy times. Engagement's gotta be there for the times where you really got some difficult discussions to have, but you have to have a discussion because if you just tell people, you're gonna go nowhere. Well, and this is, you know what, this is, I think, and again, if I link it back to the future and what I'm seeing is, I, I think engaged and motivated to change is the key. I see a lot of highly engaged companies and people, but sometimes it's almost like you've got to, I mean, for them to change, they're going to have to go through that pain journey, right? Whether it's the learning curve, yeah. the chaos or the dip. So it does make me laugh. Then we'd like to keep a 70% engagement score and basically we're going to change everything. It's like, well, actually, we're probably going to piss a few people off, but that's not a bad thing if they come with us but that change process so sometimes I think it must be challenging at the top because the street want to see all the metrics going in the same direction but there's always a change process to run so you know if you're going to significantly upset the way people work then that's going to challenge a few of them but I guess then that comes back to this idea of telling them where you're going and being transparent and having the conversation so I often think some companies today I wonder if they've got too many engaged employees but engaged in an old model versus yeah. trying to engage them in what's going to become down the line. So I guess, you know, your business has gone through quite a bit of change, right? Obviously in the short term, but it's talking about what we can do and what can we become and what we build towards as opposed to just keeping people happy, right? So I don't think anybody yeah. ever accuse you of being a happy clapper, Louise, about the HR <laughs> systems and processes. I mean, I think, I, I think you're far too scary at times for that as well. So uh... I think you make a good point, though, you know, where people use citizenism and processes to measure engagement, they're often rear view mirror processes or they hang on to the, you know, the false summit they got to two years ago when they got 90 percent engagement and 90 percent participation. But there are pulse pulse approaches now, which is so much better than when I started out doing this stuff. 
you know, you can you can do agile five questions, get them out to a cross section. So if you have been through a tricky time, you start seeing if you come out the other side. But as you say, you can't kid yourself that a rear view mirror view is going to drive you forward. <laughs> Not going to happen. The best I you had was a whole lot of a whole lot of IT guys sat in a room. They'd be whinging at me, like literally moaning for about you know an hour. About and I'm like, so when you do the surveys, what do you put in? And they're like, oh, we all give it ten. Like 10. I said, but you just moaned about it. He goes, oh, yeah, Ben, because otherwise they sit in this room and try to explain what's wrong. I'm not going through that bullshit. <laughs> but I think that's another really interesting thing is if I need a survey to tell me that my people aren't engaged, I think I've got a problem as a leader. You know, if I need that review mirror and I can't feel it or see it or they're not telling me and then I'm surprised by a result and I sit you down and tell me why you gave me that score. I'm like, you're you are you you are missing the point completely. You know, I, as a leader, I should know that. Yeah, uh, I oh. think it's hard, though, if things have got away from you, you know, it is good to, you know, have some sense of a process by which you can pull that back. Ben, you know, I, I deal with some managers that go, oh, you know, I've really dropped the ball here and, and you, you can come back from it. You know, you'll, you'll get some good pointers, I think. Oh, we, we, we always love a, you know, a road to Damascus conversion, right? It's the, one, it's the ones who deny it. I was just about to say there was an experience in my life where I was going through as a rear view thing. And prior to the this big survey going out and the entire business and entire team going through a survey, the, the leader of that business sort of asked his senior leadership team around the table and I was working with them um, around what are they feeling? What's your gut feel? You know, what do you think we're going to get? And he just went around the table and made everyone sort of say, yeah, well, you know, this or that. And and so he's like, okay, well, if that's where we're at, we're not like super high, but we're not low. We're sort of, we, we're here. Um, when those teams got absolutely ghastly results, it did cause a road to Damascus moment. A lot of people going, oh, the survey must've been wrong. We didn't prepare them to how to answer it. And there was this great moment where he's like, that's not the answer I want right now. We did that fluff before. Now we actually have to say, that's the truth. That's where we're at. That's our baseline. Let's, we have to accept it before we can move on. Um, Lou, I have to ask you a question because one thing that I see, and this is, you know, in corporate landscapes and Ben would see this all the time in training and facilitation, you have, uh, the comparison of businesses and sporting teams and around, you know, teams and engagement and systems. And one of the things that you really triggered for me in this conversation is around confidence, because I totally agree that confidence isn't just fair weather friendship or this fair weather thing that you're confident when it's always fair weather. I think what you're talking about is systemically confident because you can travel through the ups and downs of a business and you've got a team around you that can go through that. Can you talk about how you maintain confidence in teams when there is a dip? Because I think that that's a huge thing. There's, it's easy to be confident when everything's going well for a lot of teams and you see that in sporting teams particularly it's the teams that when it's not going well and they maintain the confidence that they can be successful if they stick to their systems that ends up in you know enduring success i think for from my perspective the one thing i always fall back on in terms of this confidence through those tricky times is knowing the values that are important to us as, a, as an organization we've got I've got three values in our business the way we've articulated them have, have changed over time but they're genuine confident and committed are our three values and you you give people an anchor that says we've got some tricky times ahead or we've hit a storm but we'll always work within our values 
you know, and even when I've had to make big redundancy programs and we've had to re resize the, the business, I've always said to people, we will operate in a way that doesn't undermine our values. Yes. And if you are genuine, you're going to be as honest as you can with people and say, so, this, this is going to be difficult. And, and here's some of the reality of what it's going to take. But for me, it has been knowing in that organization what your values are. And, and you know, in most team sports, they, 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 they really do have a sense of what combines us as a team. How are we going to do things around here? You know, if we're 10 nil down, what, what, what will we lean back on? And I think it is organizations spending enough time on those values and articulating them in a way that's right for that, that business and that, the personality of that and that context. And we, we, we've changed the way we articulate them over the years, but it always comes back to those three words, which actually mean quite a lot to 50,000 people in our, in our business because we really reinforce them. Yes. Um, and, and the quality of your communication. You, you can't go silent when, when the dark clouds come. You have to step up. So that requires your leaders to be more confident than, than the organization at that point in time. Um, but it's the, it's the value of the values for me. So again, it's, it's, it's the leader led, but working within the, working within the framework that you're able to provide them around the values, the plans and that transparency. Right. And I think, and I think what's yeah. interesting, Lou, hearing you talk is, you know, so much is talked about this, but it's the execution of this. And do we actually believe in this and do we, does it back it up? And I think that's the genuine approach, right? Whether we talk about it, but people roll their eyes versus actually, you know what, whether it's the purple page or whether it's the values people can, actually engage in those methodologies right and that that's about consistency of execution as well right yeah. i mean that's probably what you bring to it right i mean i think rob um calls you the culture carry you know someone that's been there as long as you have <laughs> makes makes you wonder why they haven't got rid of you yet but maybe it's you know the good side of it is you you know you do live and breathe this stuff and i can feel that you know when i talk to you it's, it's kind of fun you know it's it's and i think you know is, is that the other thing for you is it about enjoying this and being on it because it does get very serious doesn't it but i get a sense you've had a lot of fun in your career around this i mean you obviously enjoy it oh i, I do you know making sure there's no say do gap is my life it's been my life's work really ben say you do know? gap look at say you do gap. you should bring that into your parenting skills hey. lou i should really a, yeah, my kids are doing a lot of say do gapping at the moment. But <laughs> hey, oh, Blake, Blake yes, said he got small working. kids. Um, it's, it's in the arsenal now. It's in say the arsenal. Gap. Say do gap. Well, you know, I finish up these yeah. podcasts with my phrase, which is when all is said and done, more is said than done, which you know is exactly all about me. You know, my say do gap is actually quite small because I just talk for a living and I never actually commit to having to do anything. So I've got that mastered. See, I think I've worked that well. <laughs> What advice? I mean, if you've got an organisation that's looking to drive engagement and seriously about it, I mean, just give us your give us your top three. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of heard what I've said. It's, it's about getting the right leaders. It's about communication and being authentic, you know, genuine, which are all easy things to say. But like, what do you think really does make the difference? How do you how do you actually narrow that say do gap on this engagement front? What advice would you give somebody? I think you you should never forget that different employee groups across your organization will always see the organization differently. So it, 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 if you don't acknowledge that, you're gonna be leading blind. So, you know, basically make sure you, you've got the perspective of, of your employees across the business because it, it, that will really make you successful in, in the long term. And, and in doing that, you've gotta be authentic. 
you've got to show some vulnerability, understand there'll be ambiguity for you as a leader, because once you get those different perspectives, it will start changing your agenda a little bit. Um, I think that's it really for me. It is under, just understanding that there are different perspectives across your organization. And if you don't go and seek them out, you will not be successful. Yeah, yeah. And that comes back to that idea of servant leadership, right? It's not the responsibility yeah. of, of, the, of the employee to be, you know, well, it is their responsibility to be engaged, but our job is to help them, right? Is to understand, but that different perspectives, I think there's, otherwise we end up preaching to them, which I think is kind of where we get this wrong, as opposed to listening and then acting on what they're telling us or asking us to do, right? And if we can't do it, let's be Absolutely. upfront. What fun. Look at us talking shop. It's something we don't do, Lou. I, you know, whenever we catch up, I think we've got other things on our mind rather than talking shop, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm not surprised that you are the longest serving female. And I'm not surprised your parents are so happy that you're in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look at me now, Lou. I've got a podcast and I've got a Blake with a beard I that looks, know. you know, my God, I've, got a, I've got a crew. We're crew. You, you and Blake are very professional, I have to say. Hey, Lou, thank you ever so much. You stay safe. Um, lovely to be able to just have a yarn with you. I do appreciate it. I'm going to add the, the, what is it, the say do gap to my when all is said and done, more is said than done. So I'm going to take a few lessons out of today. I'm sure you'll keep doing what you've got to do. Stay safe. Thank you ever so much for your time. My pleasure. Take Thanks, care, Lou. Bye. Bye.